Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. In the Greek text, the book of Matthew actually opens up with these words, the book of origins, or or another translation, the book of Genesis. And the Old Testament narrative finished on uh, a pretty somber note, really, at the the end of Nehemiah, with the rebuilt Jerusalem turning out to be somewhat of a disappointment, really. And then for 500 years after that time, Israel carried on with life as subjects to the Persians, then to the Greeks, and then to Rome. And I wonder after all that time, how much did your typical Israelite hang on to the hope of a Messiah? What was your average Israelite farmer anticipating a saviour, or were they just carrying on with life as best they could, putting one foot in front of another. Was the hope of a saviour glowing like a beacon in their hearts or had it faded with the sands of time? I imagine that after all that time, many had given up on a new beginning. This was just how it was. Better to accept the reality and, and get on with life. And so how remarkable and surprising and bold it is that Matthew would begin his book, the book of Genesis. In two Greek words, Matthew interrupts the everyday monotony of Roman rule and says, get ready, everyone. The time has come for something astounding and new, something we haven't seen since the first book of Genesis. So as we come to this passage and explore what God has to say, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the treasures that we've unpacked as we've traveled through the Old Testament story, starting right back in Genesis, the delight of your creation, your promises to Abraham, And as we followed through that story, anticipating the wonderful work that you need to do, because we are incapable of saving ourselves. And so, Lord, as we come to the New Testament, this genealogy of our Lord Jesus, may your spirit speak to us. May we be enlightened and changed by your word. Amen. So. I wonder what your family tree says about you. Perhaps you are proud of your heritage and your family tree is full of notable and and famous people. Or perhaps it's more like mine, full of some pretty questionable characters. I'll give you a little snapshot of my family tree, just a brief one. There's my ancestor, Joseph Pereira, who was deported from London to Perth for stealing seven shovels. Uh, I'm not sure why he stole seven shovels, but uh, 
seven. Maybe they were just lying around and he took them anyway. He was deported. Then there was another ancestor, Isaac Pereira, who got drunk while driving a horse and cart and fell to his death. A rather sad end for my ancestor, Isaac. Or another one of my distant relatives who capsized his boat, probably also drunk and drowned in the Balmain River. Pretty sad stories in my history, pretty questionable characters. But fortunately for me, we don't put a whole lot of stock in our genealogies these days. They, they might be interesting historical facts, but they tend to hold little more significance for us than that. But for a Jewish person around the time of Jesus, your genealogy meant a great deal. If you wanted to hold an important position in Jewish society, you needed to have proof that you were a descendant of Israel. And we even saw this in Ezra and Nehemiah. In Ezra, people were rejected from service in the temple because they couldn't provide written proof of their heritage. So your family tree was more than an interesting side note. It would dictate what privileges were afforded and denied you in society. It acted, it was almost like an identification card or a passport of sorts. And so while it might seem a little bit boring to us that Matthew begins his gospel with a list of names, for the audience Matthew was writing to, this book of the origins of Jesus Christ starts by laying out who Jesus is. We're meant to read this like Jesus' proof of identity his credentials. But what's fascinating about this identification card is just how much Matthew can tell us through a simple list of names. So first of all, if, we, if you have that Matthew 1 passage open and have a look through it, you'll, you'll see that there's a lovely symmetry to Matthew's genealogy. It's broken up into three groups of 14 generations. But what you might not realise is that Matthew has had to be quite creative with how he has crafted this. He's lent upon some of the Old Testament uh, genealogies, but he's made some significant changes. He's left some people out of the genealogies and he's included some surprising names. Matthew's genealogy is not designed to include every historical name to give a precise thorough chronological account but it's carefully crafted to highlight the significance of Jesus as the culmination and the centerpiece of history of God's work and so Matthew's suggesting here that there's a certain pattern and symmetry to history this this isn't all just random there's an intentional direction that all of history is headed towards. And now that another 14 generations have passed, the time is ripe for a new wonderful working of God. Perhaps you noticed too, as you listened to that passage being read, that the, the flow of names being read, it keeps getting broken up from time to time. And, and that each 14 generations begins and culminates with Abraham, with David, and the exile. 
And it's like Matthew has highlighted these moments in Israel's history in big, black, bold letters. And he's saying, pay attention. I'm trying to show you something really important here. And so Chris read for us three passages from the Old Testament a bit earlier, which refer to the promises made to Abraham, to David, and to the exiles. And Abraham, of course, was the father of Israel. And the promises he received were from God were that he would multiply Abraham's family. He would give them a land and make them a blessing to the whole earth. David, of course, was the greatest of Israel's king, a king after God's own heart. And God promised that his descendants would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And exile? Well, exile was a time of judgment and deep lament, but it was also a time of promise where God told the exiles to look forward to a return and restoration. All three of these moments are times of wonderful promise. And so by drawing our attention to these moments, Jesus' identification card clearly says in big writing, here is the king of promise who will finally end exile. So the promises made to Abraham back in Genesis, the, the throne of David, the return from exile. Matthew is saying they are all about to be completed in this man, Jesus. The Messiah is here. Now, to a Jewish audience, it doesn't get any more impressive than this. All the big names are here. Jesus' genealogy demands respect. But Jesus' genealogy is just as notable for the surprising and unexpected characters that it contains the marginalised and unimpressive characters as well as the famous. It's not just a list of the mighty and the grand. It proudly and shockingly advertises that the Messiah's family tree includes women who were usually left out of the genealogies. It includes prostitutes and Moabites and Canaanites. It includes murderers adulterers, and pathological liars. This is scandalous. It's a cause for shame in Jewish society. These were the names you blotted out. You, you erased from history and hoped nobody would find out. Tamar, Manasseh, Ahaz, Bathsheba, Rahab. And the thing about this is we know that Matthew's not afraid to take some poetic license with this genealogy. He, he could easily have excluded these people from the list, washed over the genealogy to make it a, a little bit more impressive. But he has intentionally chosen to include the outcast, the foreigner, the harlot, the underprivileged and the despised. But why? 
Matthew's showing us here in this very first chapter what Jesus was on about, the sort of king Jesus had come to be. This Messiah hadn't come to fit their expectations, but to fulfill God's promises. And this meant that the Messiah had come to bring into his family people of every nation and background, those who were broken and marginalized and sinful, along with those who were well regarded. This Messiah, as we read on, we, we can expect that he's going to spend just as much time among the suffering and needy as he is among the rich and the mighty. Now, perhaps most well-standing Jews stopped reading at this point. Perhaps in their eyes, this passport just didn't meet their qualifications. Perhaps they scoffed and labelled Matthew a fool, just like his Messiah. But there would have been many whose eyes opened wide with joy as they read this genealogy. Those who sat outside the temple disabled and not allowed inside those who were reduced to slavery and servitude, those oppressed and rejected and broken by their own sin. Because here was a family tree they could belong to. Could it be that the Messiah might accept them too? I find it pretty extraordinary to think that Jesus would tie himself to humanity in this way. I mean, just stop and think about this for a moment. The very idea of the eternal word of God, even having a human genealogy, is nonsensical. This family tree ties God to human history and ties him to a people, both their glory and their shame. God takes on the identity of this broken people and says, see this messed up family. This is my family. Some of it is ugly. Some of it is broken. Some of it is steeped in shame. But I take this family as my own. This big, broken family called Israel. Now, we could leave it there, and this genealogy is already making some pretty incredible claims. But this all becomes personal when we consider that this has become our family tree too. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Romans. The spirit that you receive, the Holy Spirit, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption as children. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We are sons and daughters of Abraham and David too. We share in the family line of Jacob, Rahab, Solomon and Ruth. This might be the book of the origins of Jesus, but it is also the book of how we as outsiders came to 
be a part of this family. And so I wonder when you look back at your own family story, when you think about your own life story, what are the things that bring you shame? Perhaps your family story is full of pain. Maybe it's a story that's shamefully spotted with relationships breaking down, of violence and drugs and abuse. Maybe you would rather keep that story tucked away in the shadows, out of the light. Or maybe you look at your own life and are filled with shame and guilt. The mistakes you've made, the hurtful words you've spoken, those words spoken in anger, the, the lure of the bottle, bottle or the images on the internet that have this unshakable grip on you. Maybe you feel like you just can't speak to God because, well, you've asked for forgiveness so many times and you keep on messing up. Take a look at this family tree again. Look at Judah. He slept with a prostitute who was secretly his daughter-in-law, Tamar, had children by her and then tried to have her killed. Look at Rahab, a prostitute, an enemy of God's people. Look at David, who killed a man to hide so that his adultery would not be uncovered. Talk about shame and guilt. Yet here is Jesus proudly claiming each of these people as his family, proudly wearing them as a badge of honour. Jesus ties himself to their shameful stories and transforms them into his glory as he tends the forgotten, the broken, and the sinner in a dazzling yet humble display of power and forgiveness. Jesus has and will tie himself to our shame too if we will come to him. He will transform your shame into his glory as he heals you by his spirit. And and so no matter what guilt you hold or shame you feel, you are welcome in this family. The other thing to notice too is that if this is our family tree, then our family is not neat and tidy. We are a motley bunch. And this has to have an impact on our attitudes towards each other. Because first of all, we have to remember that we are the outsiders who have all been welcomed in. We have all received grace and we are only here on Zoom together now because each of us have received God's grace. And and that means that no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter how broken our stories might be, no matter what shame we have, we all belong in this family by the grace of God. And so Jesus' family, our family, is a place for people like Jonathan, 
Jonathan was a young man who struggled with mental illness. And many years, uh, and after many years away, his mother writes this about Jonathan's return home. She says this. This would make a great ending for our story. Jonathan is back, all is well, and we can live happily ever after. But those are fairy tale endings. This life is messy. The ever after happiness has to wait. I move circumspectly as I try to adjust to this beloved stranger. He's not the Jonathan we knew, and yet my love for him has increased. He is meek and compliant, probably an effect of the medication, but looks fragile, and I'm afraid I might break him. Jesus' family is also a place for people like Tom, who bear the scars of relational and sexual brokenness. Listen to his words about his encounter with Jesus. As she laid her hands on me and prayed, the bustle of the pub faded away. I entered into a stillness, a peace. Soon I felt a soft tingling on the crown of my head that slowly intensified as if someone were pouring oil over me. In a moment, in that experience so totally from outside me, so totally unasked for, everything turned upside down in my mind. For the first time, I knew God was real and that he loved me. This changes everything, I realised. We could each add our own story to Jonathan and Tom's. And you know, as Jesus spent time with sinners, it rocked Jewish expectations to the core. We should expect our expectations to be rocked too when we look around at our church family, when we see the grace that God pours out and when we realize the grace he has poured out on us ourselves. Our family is full of ragamuffins, misfits, and broken vessels. We are each those broken vessels. But if our Lord Jesus could wear the names of sinners as a badge of honor, then we need to learn to love one another fully and openly without exception. Finally, we see from this genealogy that Jesus' family is a place of transformation and redemption, a, a place where shame is transformed into God's glory. Because God's glory is revealed when we as broken vessels are lovingly tended by his gentle hands and pieced back together. And over time, Sometimes over a very long time, over the course of our whole lives, as the grace of God and the power of his spirit overwhelms and overcomes our sin, his glory is on display in our lives. I mean, we look at the story of Rahab and we rejoice in God now. We, we look at the story of David and we see the power of God's forgiveness we read of Ruth and are blown away by God's grace to an ethnic outsider. When we look at one another, 
do we see the sinner or do we see God's glory being displayed? Do we see someone who is difficult to talk to or do we see someone in need of our presence? Do we shy away from the brokenness of others or do we celebrate the ways in which God is at work to bring healing and renewal? Our stories, even the stories of our sin, are a testimony that point to God's goodness and grace. So, so let's share our stories of God's transformative work for his glory. Let's tell of how God has shown his love to, to us despite our imperfections and frailties. Let's tell of how God's genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus, continues in this church family here in Springwood. Let's walk honestly together, being real that none of us are perfect, but we all need the love of our Abba Father. There's a lot in a genealogy. Maybe over the next few days, you might spend some time looking back over your own family history and consider the stories of joy and brokenness that it contains. Consider the ways in which you are an outsider or part of a checkered story. But then read back over Matthew chapter 1 and remember that this is your family tree too. We sit beside the Davids and the Abrahams, the Tamars, the Ruths and the Judas, all as broken outsiders who have been welcomed in. And in the words of Tom, whose quote I shared earlier, that changes everything. Let's pray. Lord God, we each have stories of, of guilt and shame, of ways in which we realise we are outsiders, ways in which we look at our own lives and wonder how we could be loved by a God who is so good. And then we look at our Lord Jesus. We look at this story of how you would embrace our guilt and shame and transform it into your glory, not by anything that we've done, but purely through your grace and love. Thank you, Lord, that we are all the Ruths, the Tamars, the Manassas, the, the Judas, that you have shown love to despite our failings and poured out your grace upon us. And Lord, may we reflect the, the wonderful, scandalous family that you've embraced as a church family as we love one another in our brokenness as well. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.